Let's pray before we uh, get in. Wow, God, what a week it's been with highs and lows, seeing loved ones and friends and family, enjoying really good food. Uh, some of us also had a, a grief in our heart, Lord, because there's people we loved who were not with us this holiday season. And through it all, uh, we know that your presence has been with us. We thank you, God, for being the stable, the stable force in our lives that lifts us up. When we're low, you hold us up. When we're high, you're holding us up. As we take some time now to meditate on just that, your power to uplift us, we ask that you please give us humble hearts to believe in you, to believe in your deep willingness to pour out blessings over us. We will but walk in faith. God, help our unbelief. Help us to gaze upon Jesus, the one who gave his whole life, that we may have a life like his, with full access to all the resources of heaven, and full assurance of our salvation, and full assurance that we are leaning on your power in this life, and not circumstance or human resources. We love you, Lord. We're thankful for this time to worship together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I hope by now you guys have, the food coma has kind of worn off uh, from your Thanksgiving meal. How many of you guys stayed in town for Thanksgiving? Yeah, now how many of you guys ended up traveling? That's good. Yeah, my, my family drove out here. And uh, I don't know if you met, but my, my sister and my mom, who's walking there, um, came, and my father all drove up. Uh, my dad's not feeling well this morning. Hey, Dad. Uh, he's watching live stream. Um, and so I, uh, I, though, have also felt like it's been a long time since I've been here. I don't know if anyone has felt that, but it's really good to see each of you and also to see some new faces. Does anyone, um, anyone have family who's visiting us today? Okay, cool. Well, I'm not going to call out any visitors, but we're glad you're here, and we hope you can enjoy worship with us. Well, I'm going to start us off with a little story that goes way back into the 1800s. Um, this is a book called The God I Love by Glenn Kuhn. I don't know if you've heard of Glenn Kuhn, but he's one of my favorite speakers. He's long past, but here's a little story um, in his chapter, How I Know God Answers Prayer. During the War of 1812, there was an American boy who passionately hated the British. An English gunboat was just offshore. This American boy, finding a large wasp's nest, plugged the end with mud. Then he cut the branch on which the nest hung and took it to the gunboat. These British sailors had never seen a wasp's nest. As they heard the wasps humming inside, they asked what the noise was. One boy said, it's a hummingbird's nest. The British boys thought it really was because they heard the humming inside. Then the boy said, I've come to make you a present. He cautioned them not to open the nest until he was back on the shore because the hummingbirds would follow him. So he left the nest with these boys and went back to the home, to his house or the shore. When the English sailors opened this hummingbird's nest, the wasps swarmed out and they took a dip, all of them diving over the edge of the boat. 
wishing they had gotten a different present. Every boy had to jump in the water. Now, was that a nice prank? It was not a nice prank. Who's been bit by wasps? I have. I got too close to a net. I knew better. It's not pleasant. This boy was not a nice boy. He, this was the work of an enemy. This was not a friend. But we know our father, though he had, our hearts have made ourselves enemies to the perfect holy one, is not this way. Amen? When, when a son asks his father for a gift, does he give him a snake or a scorpion? He does not. He gives him a good gift, and that is what our father is like. He does not give the hummingbird nest. No, enemies do that, but not our father. Amen. Today we're going to be talking about living in God's abundance. In a day and age where we have so much, we know that in our hearts we can lack. Sometimes in our resources we can lack. And we must find a way to navigate a world where we don't always have what we want or need. So I want to just turn our attention now to just the world stage. The world stage is a mix of needs. You look at all the different countries. They have every social class, every financial class. Everyone has poor. Everyone has rich. And there's always need. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It's just the needs change. And there's a lot of people in our church, by God's grace, have put together our funds to help those people. We have so many organizations. We are so blessed to be part of a community that supports the greater world's needs and not just the neighborhoods around the corner. One of those programs is called ADRA, Adventist Disaster Relief Association. Agency, thank you. And this is a pro- this is a, a organization that if you want to help, you can get a magazine sent to your door, and you can pay for a well for a hundred bucks. You can buy a few goats for somebody. You can buy a sewing machine for a single mom to start a business. There are so many avenues to provide support, but the needs far outweigh our resources, don't they? Our hearts burn and yearn for the pain that we see on the news every day the homeless people we see on the streets. We know there's hurting and we can't fix it all. And sometimes maybe you have felt hopeless. Like how can I really make a difference? If that was the question, whether you could make a difference, we would be in hot water. We would have a real problem. Because just like me, we have a limit to our resources. And so all the people in all the world would be, we'd be out of luck, right? And so if ever we are discouraged, we ought not to be. Because the question is not whether we are enough or do we have enough. The question is, does God have enough? And does God have enough? He has always had enough. He's always been enough. He's the one who's created it all. And as we know from the story of the little boy with the the loaves and the fishes, he didn't need very much. He just needed what you had. Just what you have is enough. In whose hands? God's hands. What you have is enough in God's hands. We're going to be jumping into a story in the book of uh, Numbers that is uh, quite a tragedy. And... I chose this story 
because in light of Thanksgiving, we have an abundance of moments in this year we can be grateful for, amen? So many good things, so many blessings, even in the hardships, right? And so we, we come to the people of Israel, God's people, who have also had many blessings, but they have found themselves in a place of deep, 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 deep discouragement. So I'd like to, before we jump into that passage, do a quick run-through of a few of the miracles God had done in their life. The first one, what is this? The parting of the Red Sea. When they met a barrier that was uncrossable, with the army of Egypt closing in, they could hear the hoofs of the, of the horses, the yells of these warriors ready to slaughter them. With pressure mounting, the Lord provided a way where there was no way. And they passed on the other side with joy. Another miracle. As they're going through the, through the, the wilderness, they come to a place of water that's bitter. It can't be drank. It cannot be drank. Drunk? Drank? <laughs> Drunk. But by God's grace, the bitter waters become sweet. And then another miracle. Another miracle where they needed food because there's not enough time to grow anything. There's no grocery outlet, no super one. But God provides manna that rains throughout the whole camp. And then another miracle. Where they're lacking water, God brings water out of a rock. Where there was none, he brought some, but not just some, more than enough. And then there was the war against the Amalekites. As they're traveling through the wilderness, they become a prey to this nation that was obviously more prepared than them. But by God's grace, by the support of these two men who held up Moses' hand, arms, the war was won by the power of God. And then there was more complaining. They needed more food. There was manna, but the manna was boring. The manna was, you know, who wants to eat something sweet every day? That must be a struggle for you savory folks out there. So God sent, you can see that kind of cloud of stuff in the sky. Um, those were quail. God sent quail on their deep groanings and requests. But they ate so much they got sick and a lot of people died. These were the miracles. At every need, God provided. At every fear, God soothed. Everywhere they turned, there was the hand of the Lord holding their lives, holding it closely. There was no distance between this God and his people. There was no, no judgment. There was no condemnation. There was no reservation of blessings. God loved his people, and he had promised to be faithful. As soon as he gave that covenant centuries before to Abraham, his heart, his life, his resources were bound and identified with all who would believe in him. And though this people many times got scared, and their belief wavered, the Lord poured out blessings. He said, wait, wait, no, 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 I do love you. Just wait. And he poured out a blessing. And they'd say, no, we're not sure if you can take care of, wait, 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 I do love you. Just look. And the Lord supplied at every single turn. But then we come to Numbers 
Numbers 13. Now, I, sorry, I, I misspoke. All these miracles happened after our story today. And if you, if you recognize the essential question in our story today, you'll understand why all these things ended up happening. You'll understand why the hardships had to be there. You'll understand a little clearer of what God's plan is. And I hope today you understand a little bit more what God's plan is for you in your hardships and in your good days. So Numbers 13. Numbers 13. At this point, they were very close to the promised land. They had not started their 40-year journey. They did not know that was even an option. Nor, nor would it have been an option they would have preferred. But they were not far from the borders of the promised land. They were encamped at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran, so close they could probably see the promised land. And they had thought it'd be good to spy out this land before it you know, getting into it, getting into God's calling. So God granted this, and they sent out 12 spies, but God said, make sure they're leaders. Make sure it's a leader of each group, people we can trust, people who are respected. Send them, and they will do the work. So they go out, and as they were absent for 40 days, and they come back having survived their perilous trip, and everybody, you can imagine, everyone is rushing these messengers as they're coming into camp. Everyone's yelling and hollering and singing. They're excited that the messengers, the spies are back. They're going to tell us what they saw. These spies, they brought specimens, beautiful things of fruit, showing that the soil was so rich. It was in the time of ripe grapes, and they even brought a cluster of grapes that was so large, it had to be carried by two men. It was so large. They brought figs and pomegranates that were growing in abundance. And so the people rejoiced. This is the land that the Lord has given us, the land flowing with milk and honey. This is where God is sending us. What a great gift. Wouldn't you be excited if that was the preview you got? You know, sometimes previews like for movies are misleading. If you've ever seen, used to watch TV or anything, you see trailers and you watch the movie and it's like, those were two different things. I, that was not what I expected at all. And there's disappointment. Or if you've been invited to a restaurant that has been so talked up and you're like, well, that was pretty basic. There's disappointment. This was not like that. They got to see it right in front of their faces. But the mood shifted. The beautiful rejoicing fell to the ground it crumbled before their feet when the spies began discussing the difficulties. They began enlarging the challenges. The obstacles were so big, just so big. The dangers that lay before their conquest were of the sorest kind. And they talked about these powerful nations and they compared it to Israel and said, we're not strong enough. We can't do it. We saw giants. 
the sons of Anak. We're like grasshoppers to them. And as they're enlarging these fears, they expand in the imaginations of the people. And if you know the imagination, it will run wild if you just give it an inch. Just an inch. And so this scene changes from hope and courage to fear and resentment. The sentiments of these unbelieving messengers had poisoned the hope and joy of the people. And it cast a gloom over them. And they turned against Aaron and Moses. They thought this was the end of their hope. This land that we've traveled to will destroy us. This is the end. Deep disappointment, deep despair, as a wail, wails of agony echo through the air. Confusion, murmuring, why is this happening? How did we come to this place after, after all we've been through? 400 years of slavery wasn't bad enough. Why are we here? An evil influence had popped the balloon of their hope, and they were in despair. But the voice of God was not silenced. The voice of God was not silenced because there were two spies, two spies who remembered what God had said. Now I'd like to turn you to Numbers. 13, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. Was this to be something earned through blood, sweat, and tears? No. It was a gift. It was a gift. God said, I'm going to give it to you, Israel. My son, I'm going to give it to you. What did they hear? They heard, I'm gonna, God, God says, I'm going to give it to you. And as it came out the other end and swirled around in their brains and said, ah, I have to figure out how, a way to get this country. I have to figure out a way to secure this blessing. Okay, how can we do this? How can we accomplish this? I want to take you to verse 28 to point out some key moments where things went awry. And I have three, just three, three ways that you can live in God's promise to give you what you need. To live in God's abundance. So this first principle is that God is always greater. God is always greater than the people we struggle with. The things within ourselves that we struggle with, the circumstances we face, has God not shown himself glorious? Has he not shown himself capable? We come to verse 28 and we see a very key word. The first word in this verse, the people say the word, however. There's a few words I want you to just be aware of in your mind this week. When you say, God has promised this to me, however... But, or if, those are the promise killers. 
However, but or if, they said, the land is beautiful, it's amazing, God was telling us the truth. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anach there. However, is a deep sign that you're depending on your own strength to fulfill the promises of God. How crazy can that be? The promises of God can never be secured by human means. Through human agencies, yeah. He's invited you into this experience where he works with you to bring blessings into your life and of others, but rest assured it's coming from his hand. So beware of these words, however, but, and if. God will do this if I do that. God can change me if I'm this way. It'll all work out if. Beware of however, but, and if, because God is always greater. Take him at his word. Next is, we've got to depend on the promises. Depend on the promises. What we see in this, this instance, I want to take you down to Numbers 14. Numbers 14. Verse 1. Here we see the people reacting to their circumstances, but not the promise of God. The circumstances, so, there's so much pressure. Their mind just gets bleached of God's promises. And so we find, in verse 1, Then all the congregation, all the congregation raised a loud voice. That must have been deafening. And the people wept that night. They wept. Now, for those of you who have kids, when one kid's in a bad mood, how does that go for the others generally? Is that a good thing? Mm-mm. I've done a, quite a few summers of youth ministry, and something I was taught and observed early on is when there's one kid who's restless, you can see the wiggles just like reverberate through the room. If there's one kid who's hating and complaining about the hike we're on, it's just everybody seems to suddenly get a lot hotter and sweatier and tired. It just, it just influences everybody. And so here, everybody, everybody's down in the dumps. There's no one singing a song of praise to the one who's brought them this far. Come to verse 2. And all the people of Israel, Israel grumbled against Moses. That's another word. Grumbled. You ever grumble in your circumstances? I've grumbled. Oh, man, she said this, and how could she do that? Or, oh, man, this happened today, and i just so frustrated. Man, I can never get it right. Man, they can never get it right. Everyone's dumb except me. You've never thought that, I'm sure. <laughs> Grumbling against Moses and Aaron is a sign. We're not depending on God's promise. It might be little things, but it's moments of reflection that yield such deep changes in our life. You can just realize, hey, take a deep breath. What has the Lord placed in my life already? Is it really as serious as I'm making it out to be? Grumbling. Red flag. We'll finish verse 2. The whole congregation said to them, 
Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness? In other words, it would have been better if we just died in Egypt. It would have been better if we just died in the wilderness than come to this point to be destroyed by these other people. Man, it would have just been better if we just ended things a whole long time ago than to go through this. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting? At what point had God ever, 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 ever let his people fend for themselves? In this whole journey, at what point did he say, your sandals are going to wear out probably in a couple of months, so you're going to have to go find some animals and make some new ones out of leather? No. No. We find, uh, I forget which passage it is, but after the whole 40 years, where there was no stores to make new clothes, no nothing, they, uh, they had no holes in their clothing or their sandals. That just lasted 40 years. Amazing. No, miraculous. God had never let them defend for themselves. He'd always called them to depend on his promises. Depend on his promises. And all would be well. I turn this to our final principle of living in abundance. When you find yourself discouraged, feeling like you don't have enough, praise. Praise the Lord. I like what one author said. Uh, her first husband had passed, and, I, and she had contracted a severe illness, and then she ended up writing this book like 10, 15 years later about praise. She had remarried to a wonderful man. And in this book, she says, I often praise God and I don't feel like it. I just tell him, hey God, I can't praise you exactly the way you ought to be praised right now. I could praise you with more joy, but I just right now, I just don't have it. But I know you're still praiseworthy. I know it's still true. And so she praises. And for what I've discovered is praising has a really amazing effect of creating hope. But looking at your problems and being down in the dumps that you have problems is a quick way to stay there. It's a quick way to get stuck. So I encourage you, sing praises, pray praises. Read praises, but get your mind off of whatever is telling you you don't have enough or you're not enough. Because as the scripture reading says, where does my help come from? I look to the hills. No, my help does not come from the hills. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The one who can create something where there was nothing. And I can testify in my own life when I have had moments where I needed to be more patient or loving or humble and I had only pride, fear, restlessness to take a moment to thank God for what he has already given me. To believe that I already had enough in my hands to do what he had called me to do. To take moments just to praise him. I mean, he's the God of the universe. The angels are singing 24-7. That has always turned my heart and melted it with joy and peace. Oh, man. 
there is nothing that has had the same effect on me. You know, as a young person, it's easy to use social media or YouTube uh, to, to cope with stress. It's just a little something to get you by. I know uh, as a freshman in college, that's something I, I struggled with in the first quarter, maybe that, that first year. And I, it was just here and there, but I realized, you know, I need something sustainable. I don't know what. I have so much stress. But I, that's because I thought if I did it perfect, then everything would be perfect. <laughs> but no, God has not called you to be perfect. God has called you to be faithful. And to be faithful, you need to depend on promises. You need to trust that God is always greater. And you may not know how that actually even applies to your moment, because you're still responsible for your stuff, right? You're still responsible. But God has not left you without an advocate. I'd like to take you to some verses then. Some things we can be thankful for about God. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 2, 9 and 8. 2 Corinthians 2, 9 and 8. She may have written this down wrong. Second Corinthians two nine and eight. You know what? I think my iPad is being silly. I'm sorry here. First Corinthians two nine and eight. First Corinthians. Excuse me. It reads, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. God has prepared. He's a person who gets ready for things to come. He's prepared for you. He's prepared. Sorry, that was verse 9. Verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the... For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Even the depths of God. So when you have questions and doubts and hardships, the Spirit is one who brings to our mind the promises of God, who reminds us afresh. Afresh. Next, I'd like to take us to 1 John 2, verse 1. 1 John 2, verse 1. 1 John 2, 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We have a helper, folks. We have someone in our corner. Malachi 3.10. Malachi 3.10. Malachi 3.10. Malachi 3.10. It's the very last book of the Bible. 
Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. No more need. Last one. Psalm 37, 25. Psalm 37, 25. I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children hungry for bread, begging for bread. The promises of God are the things that will uphold us in the hardest times. And so these are my, my three suggestions for us. If we are to live based on what God has given us and not what we don't have, worried about how little we have, how much more we need, if we are to live that way, it requires three shifts in our thinking. In those moments, we have to think, what does it mean that God is greater always? What does that mean right now? Because I feel like this is a pretty great issue. Two, we must be dependent on his promises. Don't just react. Don't be in a reaction mode to every little thing that's happening around you. Be dependent on his promises. The third, praise. Pull out of the gloom by turning your eyes to God, the one who has all the help we'll ever need, our advocate, our shepherd. As the psalm says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not, I shall not want. So I want to now do something for the kids going to ask uh, Josh to come help me. Um, I need all the kids to come up to the front for me. You can bring this out with Josh. That'd be great. Yeah, right in the middle. All the kids of all ages. And you guys can just sit right there on the pew. I get that blue, that clear bin. Thank you. Okay. Okay. So I have a just a little illustration to kind of describe what we got going on here. I'd like you to pass these down for me. Just give me one. You've heard it said that we we have a lot of thoughts in a day, and we a lot of those thoughts statistics show are repetitions, repetitious thoughts, or the same thoughts. So if they're positive thoughts, you're going to have a whole lot of positive thoughts. If you're going to have negative thoughts, those are going to abound as well. So I here have a little just illustration to explain to y'all what it's like to get the negative thoughts out of your head. Just a simple way. Um, this may be a bit of an oversimplification, but by and large, for the most part, if you take this seriously, you'll reap the benefits. So this here is our brain. I'm going to put it in this little bin here. And uh, these little pieces of paper, I want you to crumple them up. These represent the negative thoughts. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not funny enough. People don't like me. I smell weird. Um, I'm greedy. I'm angry. I'm hurt. You know, all these different things. Um, 
these, uh, these, these thoughts that bring us down. That's what these little pieces of paper represent. And I want you all to bring them up and now put them in our brain. Actually, I'm just going to hold it up for you guys. All right. Now we're going to throw a few more in there. Maybe there's a few, man, the coworker at work is really annoying. No one's capable but me. <laughs> Yikes. Where's my promotion? Oh, no, my wife's angry at me. I should stay in the car a little longer. So this is our brain. These are all the negative thoughts rolling around in there all day. And we want to get them out. So let me just get a handy cup out for me. This is going to be the word of God right here. We've got all this water. And so these got in our brain because we put them there. Now, sometimes they just kind of kick out naturally. You don't even think about it. Just negative thoughts just happen. And oftentimes, they're a way for our brain to protect us, right? Protect us from going through hard things or feeling hard things. Our brain just kicks out these thoughts to keep us away from those experiences. Thank you. Thank you, Marcy. So now, I want you all to come up, and I want you to scoop out a cup of water. We need to get rid of all these negative thoughts. Now, let's come to this side so everyone can a little bit see what's going on yeah just keep pouring just keep pouring it's taking a while isn't it it's taking a lot of hands keep going till they're all out You know, something's happening here. I don't think I anticipated, and I think it's because of science. <laughs> you know what we might need to do? Huh. <laughs> so now I want you guys to all close your eyes. <laughs> close your eyes and think of good things happy things and how great you like the church here and open your eyes and they're gone thank you you can take your seats you can leave the cups here <laughs> yeah <laughs> had I been more scientifically savvy uh, I would have known that those would have just took on water and stayed in the bowl um uh, you probably could discern the intent of this little exercise, and that is the more you, what you put in, it'll scoop things out. So if these are ping pong balls, those would have just been starting to bubble over because you would have put all the water in. So this is our dessert thing to reflect on. What are you putting most in your mind? What, what's, what's abounding in your mind? Um, and if you think a little deeper, you'll also think, well, is there any media I'm putting in my mind that is getting in the way of having those positive thoughts, those focused thoughts on God? As we're wrapping up here, I want us to think about Jesus coming to earth. Jesus came as kind of a drop in the bucket of humanity. 
one being, right? Out of millions. And now it's billions. What do we have, like seven billion people in this world, on this planet? One being. It seemed kind of like a drop in the bucket, which you and I have probably felt, like I mentioned at the beginning. And our compassion over the world, we can feel like our, uh, what we have to offer may not be enough. Yet we see the effect of this one being, this one man, that God-man, Jesus, when he came on the scene of history, the earth was never the same. Ever since then, a Christian movement has grown and swelled and endured the harshest of struggles. For 1,260 years, we walked through the wilderness of martyrdom. Christians killing Christians in the name of God. The secular mind in the French Revolution attempting to eradicate God from their, their, their midst. Burning Bibles. And it has endured. The word of God has not been defeated. And it has continued to transform people's lives. People's families, their relationships, their mindsets, their attitudes transform, transform. And this is a, an unequivocal fact of Earth's history. No Bible, no book has had more effect than the Bible. No book has been printed more than the Bible. Because there's a blessing in the Bible. There's something in that book for those who believe that people who do not believe don't experience. And whether you're Christian or not, it doesn't make a difference. If you believe, you'll experience it. I like what Ellen White says um, in Testimonies to Ministers. She says, The church of God is the only object of his supreme regard. The only object of his supreme regard. What does it mean to regard someone? Well, it's like opening a door for somebody. Maybe uh, making a hot bowl of soup for a friend when they're sick. Supreme regard for those who believe. There is a blessing to be in this church this morning. There's a blessing to believe. And he has that supreme regard for you and the difficult people in your life too. We're all in the same flock, folks. None of us are better than the other. We all have our own oddities. God is merciful and loving. The advocate has not brought his hand down in judgment on us. No, no, no. There's abundance of mercy, of tenderness. He doesn't cancel us. He transforms us. And may our, our maybe motto for life echo the words of Israel in the Old Testament. Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. Let us hope in the Lord from this day forward that the things that need to happen in this world will happen because the one who created it is watching over it. 
But we come to one other group of people. We find a revelation called the Church of Laodicea, which prophetically represents the believing world at this time. And there are two pieces of advice given to these folks. Unlike Israel, at this, in the story we read today, they were not fussing against God. They were not fighting the leaders. They were not committing any great, great sins of idolatry and blasphemy and heresy and every other sea you could imagine. No. They were just coasting. They said, everything's all right. Everything's fine. Everything's good. But God has a different perspective. And what he says is, no, you're, you're actually missing. You're not looking in the right mirror. If you were seeing what I see, you would be worried. Jesus says, For you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Now, part of us may feel offended, like, I'm not those things. Especially the world today, no one wants to get their flaws pointed out. It's such a horrible thing to be held or accountable. But he says, you need me because uh, you don't realize how much trouble you're in. You don't realize it. You need me to realize it. So he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, which represents eternal salvation. Sorry, no, no, no. Gold refined by fire is a refined character so that you may be rich. You can only get that character from him. He gives the gold. You yield and receive. He also says, you need white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. That is the perfect character of God placed on you free of charge except the cost of his life. And need salve to anoint your eyes, to heal them so that you can see, all of which come from the hand of God and are a promise to those who believe. So he, he wraps it all up, John here. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Two things, be zealous and repent. Now what is zeal? Zeal is grit. Zeal is earnestness. Zeal is enthusiasm. Zeal is determination. That is within our, our doing to choose to be zealous. No one can choose to be zealous. No one can be motivated into be zealous. No one can be inspired into being zealous. We choose to be zealous for something. We choose to be zealous. You look at any movement in history, social uh, voting rights, the different social rights of the 1900s. It was zeal. It was a zeal for something greater. It was a choice. So if you find yourself in this place, where you're kind of in this, I'm okay, things are all right, and you ha- you're not actually living in the promises of God and praise and the power of God working in you and through you, the solution is to get zealous and pray for the gift of repentance. 
Because those whom he loves, he reproves, and he loves you, so he will reprove you, as any good father would. You know, father, he gives good gifts, as a good daddy does, but he withholds that which is not good for his children. That is a father. And so as we close up here, let us, as Israel, hold the hope that Jesus holds all that we need in our lives. There's no lack. There's nothing. There's no lack. Because in his hands, a little is all we need. So will you give your little? Because in view of Jesus' life, he gave not just a little, he gave all, right? Because that was the only way to give us all. And he doesn't hold it against us, saying, well, I did this, now you need to do this for me. This is all out of love. This is all out of love. He's inviting you. Lay down your fears, any sin that besets you. Let it all go that you may experience the power in my hands. Because any sin that is cherished blocks us from experiencing that power. If we don't let it go in his power, we are choosing to be like Israel and limiting ourselves to our own strength. And we'll come to the extent like they did in saying, hey, we need a new leader. They said, Moses and Aaron, they're not good enough. They're terrible. We need a new leader. And the implication is, since Moses was following God, that new leader would not be following God. But our hearts need something to lead us to, or help us cope. So in absence of Jesus, something else will fill it. So let's give what we have, knowing that God has given all that we could ever imagine. And as we let him have like the, uh, have, let him have the role of father in your life. Maybe you didn't have a good father, and it's kind of hard to imagine that. You can imagine the shepherd, the tender shepherd, who leads the little sheep that don't know where they're going or what they're doing into the right pastures and the right rivers and keeps them from falling in and floating off. He wants to shepherd you, if you will believe. And he gives, offers us the light of life, his own person. If you'll look to Jesus, Spend more time thinking about Jesus because he is the stable one. If you fix your eyes on him, you'll have peace. And so a world that is falling apart could benefit from this message. And if we live it, they see it. A people dependent on God's promises, experiencing miracles, small and great, a people who praise when they are cast down. Like it says, like John says in Philippians 4. He's experienced all these negative things. And he comes to a final conclusion about things, about matters of suffering. He says, Not that I am speaking of being in need. Here's a lesson. For I have learned in whatever situation. I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. 
In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Why? How? All he says is, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. There is no promise the, pay, the, the path will be paved and smooth. There's no promise you won't have to bushwhack through the jungle of con, uh, questions and, and, and uh, hardship. But the promise is you will get through it. You will get through it on his strength. And so if you bring what little you have to God in his hands, it will be enough. So I, again, summarize the three things. Remember, God is always greater. Depend on his promises and praise. And also avoid however's, buts, or ifs. And the Lord is going to do amazing things through you and in you. So uh, let his, 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 his resources be enough for you. Let them be enough. Let them be enough. Let's, uh, let's pray. God, you're good. Oh, so good. That you speak nothing but mercy and grace to us. You obviously don't sweep our sin under the rug. But you show us a better way and a, a power that can cleanse us. So I just claim for us today that we'd walk in this abundance, Lord, that we're never lacking like we think or feel we are. It's never a lose-lose situation we find ourselves because you're in our lives. We'll have what we need. You already knew about the heartache long before us. You always already knew about the mistakes that we'd make, and still you chose us. So thank you, Lord, for the precious red blood of your son that cleanses us and that gives us a hope and a future. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please stand with us for our closing hymn, number 560.